This is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. Hello, I'm Glenn Wheeler, and welcome to episode 257. The week that was, what a roller coaster seven days we've had. A brief recap. The Energy NL Conference began in St. John's, sold out for the first time ever, in part because of the hype about hydrogen. But then, the mood at the St. John's Convention Center crashed, with news of the delay in Bay du Nord, the deepwater oil project planned for the Newfoundland offshore. Does the province's offshore oil and gas industry have a future, mused the media. Hopefully not, said environmentalists, who had opposed this mega-fossil fuel project from the get-go and applauded the delay. Meanwhile, Nova Scotia burned as if to underline the insanity of Bay du Nord. On the hydrogen front, World Energy GH2 bought the port of Stephenville, part of the wind energy project they want to build, powered by 164 wind turbines, blanketing the Port-a-Port Peninsula. Strangely, or maybe not so strangely, the purchase comes even before World Energy GH2 has been chosen over other possible bidders and before the project has passed environmental assessment. The fix is in, it seems. And one more thing happened last week. A new advocacy group launched. It's called EnviroWatch NL, and Bingbom Matters is a proud supporter. In one media interview about the launch, the reporter asked, you want it, Baydenor cancelled, and now you don't want wind energy on the port of port Peninsula. What do you want then? And that's what we're up against. A narrative has been sketched about port of port and about hydrogen. In this seductive story, gently turning wind turbines helps solve our climate crisis. They've even given it a Mi'kmaq name, New Geoonic, where the sand blows. But port port and the other wind projects proposed for Newfoundland and for Nova Scotia will never work as promised. Because it's so expensive to transport, the hydrogen produced in Atlantic Canada will need to be turned into ammonia for shipment. And that ammonia is most likely to be used to make fertilizer, according to our guest this week. Michael Liebreich is an engineer and commentator on energy issues via his podcast, Cleaning Up. Michael Liebreich is especially insightful on the business of hydrogen, what he sees as a subsidy-fueled bubble that eventually will burst. It's not the money that's the worst loss, but time. The planet is burning, and we're wasting our precious time on a technological response that simply will not work as advertised. We reached Michael Liebreich in London, I asked him first about all the steps that will be needed to turn Newfoundland wind power into electricity for Europe. Glenn, first of all, let me say it's a great pleasure to join you uh, on your on your podcast. Um, so taking a step back, the context here is this agreement between um, Chancellor Schultz of Germany and uh, your own PM Trudeau, the hydrogen agreement, the hydrogen compact. And... You know, it's presented as though, as you say, there's going to be the 
the strong winds of uh, of Newfoundland are suddenly going to switch the lights on in Germany. But if that were really what it was about, you would have to get from the wind to renewable electricity. You then have to electrolyze that electricity. You have to use that electricity to make hydrogen. Um, and at that point, you've got hydrogen in Canada, right? So somehow you have to get that to Germany. And there's the impression that's given is that this is a hydrogen deal. So they're going to be bringing hydrogen to Germany. Hydrogen on a ship is not really going to be a thing. Uh, hydrogen is so, so light that it would require, if you compare it to, for instance, um, LNG, natural gas, you can put that on a ship. But hydrogen is so light that you would need three to four times as many ships to transfer the same amount of energy. And you've got lots of other issues to do with um, how much energy is required to liquefy and the fact that it um, travels at um, a much lower temperature and so it's and it embrittles steel and it likes to escape. So it's just a lot harder as well. So then, of course, the people who, when you point this out, the people who are behind all of this, they say, oh, no, 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 it's going to be transported as ammonia. And that's entirely possible. It's much easier to put on a ship. The problem is you then have to take that hydrogen, you then have to turn it into ammonia, which is a very lossy process called the Harbour-Bosch process. And you lose something like, at the moment, around 40% of the energy is lost in that process. And then you have to um, compress and liquefy the ammonia, put it on your ship. And at the other end, you have to turn it back into electricity, either ammonia to electricity or ammonia to hydrogen to electricity. And that's another lossy process. So by the time you have gone through all of that process end to end, from the electricity you generated in Canada to the electricity that you might use to switch on a light in Germany, you have lost something like 80% of the energy content. And by the way, you've got huge amounts of capital expenditure as well, because you've also got all of these plants making hydrogen, making ammonia, compressing ammonia, all those ships in between for the ammonia. Then you've got uh, at the other end, power generation and maybe hydrogen separation. So there's a huge amount of capex, a huge amount of maintenance. And at the end of it, 20% of the electricity coming out. So I'm going to say that's really not going to happen. So, and that would mean uh, doing the math, that makes it more expensive. If uh, you're only getting 20% of what you produce, then um, that's uh, there's a price tag for that, for that loss of efficiency. Oh, for sure. I mean, if, it, if you can only, if it's 20% efficient, then, you know, sort of simple math says it's going to be five times the cost. Hmm. So that the electricity out the end in Germany is going to be five times the cost of the electricity in, in Canada. But it's worse than that, because that then doesn't, that's just on the efficiency losses that does not remunerate the capital cost all along that chain, and it doesn't pay for the maintenance. So it's much worse than that. It could be it could be seven to ten times as, as expensive importing energy via that route. Now you mention uh, Chancellor Schulz's uh, visit to Newfoundland, uh, accompanied by our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. So how do we explain that visit then? Because you're dealing with uh, very sophisticated people. Uh, uh, and um, they were 
uh, here uh, promoting wind energy and hydrogen, but you say that it'll probably never be built as described. So what is going on? Right. So you started us off talking about the wind in Canada and Newfoundland switching on the lights in Germany. And and that is something that's, um, well, if it happens, it'll be done by cables in many, many years and not by hydrogen. Um, what could happen and is much more, you know, much more realizable is actually that that what they're really going to do is make the wind energy, turn it into ammonia, which is a constituent of fertilizer, which Germany very much needs, um, having lost access to fertilizer made from um, Russian gas, of course, because of this appalling invasion by Russia of Ukraine. So Germany needs fertilizer. And, you know, that's a that process is at least kind of more believable that you would go from Canadian wind Newfoundland wind to hydrogen to ammonia imported as fertilizer into Germany. Germany imports fertilizer. There's 20 million tons of fertilizer uh, moving around the world by ship already. And then it's used as fertilizer. But of course, what they, they haven't gone off to, um, I'm, I'm not sure exactly where they went. I think it was uh, it, it was the big project in uh, Nuzjohonuk, if I'm not mm -hmm. wrong. Yes. And what they wanted to talk about was hydrogen, um, not about fertilizer. Uh, and in fact, what they didn't want to talk about is expensive fertilizer. They wanted to paint this this marvelous picture of um, some you know huge foundational energy deal around hydrogen between the two nations. But actually, the thing, the only thing that might arise from it that I can envisage would be a fertilizer deal. Mm. So wind energy is a better story than fertilizer, I guess, and. Um... That was the uh, the way the story was told. Well, the wind energy. I mean, let's if we're going to take a few steps back, then you know you have got a phenomenally good wind resource, um, and um, so I, you know, I, I think that there is a fantastic discussion to be had, but it needs to be a just trans uh, uh, a just discussion. It needs to be a fair discussion with all the stakeholders about how to use that wind resource. Um, to solve the really big existential problems of, you know, not just climate change, but also the economic development of regions, the people, uh, and so on. Um, I mean, if you do take that wind resource, um, it, it could decarbonize. I mean, you, you still have electricity being used um, in that region, which is coal-based. So why would you turn it into ammonia, fertilizer, and ship it to Germany, which is inherently just really, really inefficient way of decarbonizing versus actually decarbonizing your own coal-fired power first. Right. So the, in Nova Scotia, for example, <clears throat> across the Gulf of St. Lawrence, um, the, uh, the hydrogen uh, will be produced by coal and that, that uh, production will be for Germany and not to decarbonize the Nova Scotia power supply. So your your thinking is that it's better used locally because the shipment, the transportation uh, does not work. Well, if you're making hydrogen from coal, there's nothing clean about it. And in fact, going from coal to hydrogen to power is actually dirtier than just going coal to power. Forget the hydrogen. Now, if you're going to if you're going to capture the CO2, then that changes, right? So if you go coal with carbon capture to hydrogen, but that's a really expensive process. Um, you know, the, I I can see how they call it blue hydrogen. So hydrogen, where you which you make from 
natural gas and you capture the CO2 from a kind of process engineering perspective, I can see how that could work and actually probably cheaper than producing hydrogen uh, from wind energy, certainly at the moment. Uh, but if you're going to try and do hydrogen from coal, capturing the CO2 and so on, it just, these are just, you know, quite kind of bizarre things to do. If you've got, you know, if you've got really good wind resources, why don't you just directly use them to decarbonize power systems, number one, number two, to decarbonize transport, and number three, decarbonize heating, because mm. electricity is just brilliant at doing those three things. And, and that's where we should really be focusing. Michael, as we're speaking, there's a conference uh, in Newfoundland Labrador is Energy NL. And it's the first time ever that this annual conference is sold out. And the reason is uh, because of the um, the hubbub around the province's emerging hydrogen sector, according to the newspaper report. And uh, soon the provincial government is about to uh, announce which companies are the successful bidders. So um, in light of what you say about uh this sector, what do we think is going to happen? Because policies are being made, plans are being made, presentations are being made. Uh, but the, for the reasons you describe, this is unlikely to work as described. So what can we expect after the hubbub subsides? So where we are in the world, we use every year 94 million tons of hydrogen there's a, a bunch more which is mixed in with other gases we use in different ways. But let's call it, you know, production of hydrogen. There's 94 million tons per year. And that is a problem because it's made with natural gas in China and a few other places. Some of it's made with coal and it drives 2.3% of global emissions. It's a problem, right? So you've got that conference that you talked about where hydrogen is being postulated as a solution, but nobody wants to talk about hydrogen as a problem. They want to jump uh, to hydrogen as a solution. And, you know, you, you talked about um, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and uh, Chancellor Schultz as being smart people. They're smart politicians. So right now, there's a kind of premium to talking about hydrogen. You know, if you're a politician, you use the word hydrogen, then your poll ratings kind of go up because everybody mm. thinks, ah, you know, you're, 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 you're on the money, you're current, you're uh, et cetera, et cetera. What happens is that the focus has to shift to that 94 million tons of problematic hydrogen first that has to be cleaned up. And um, the, the volume is enormous compared to anything being talked about by any of these projects. And I will give you the example of, uh, of, of um, Nuji. I always find it hard to pronounce. I'm sorry. I apologize to your, your listeners. Um, Nugionic. I don't know how I'm doing there, but that yes, that, no, that's good. That's uh, and that's the uh, the Migma name given to the wind energy project on the west coast of Newfoundland. That's the Porto Port, Stephenville, yes. uh, Lewis Hills, etc. So that project, which is postulated, it's going to be you know three gigawatts of um, generating of wind turbines. So it's going to be 164 and then 500 turbines. It's going to cost, I've seen figures of $12 billion and so on. It's going to produce 250,000 tons a year of hydrogen. And it sounds like an enormous amount. Like who could be against that, right? That is 0.23% 
of global hydrogen. Right? Put it another way, you would need 400 projects like that, 400 of these colossal projects, costing tens of billions, taking a decade to build, et cetera, et cetera. And you'd need 400 of them just to replace existing problematic hydrogen demand. So when you look at it like that, you realize that all this talk about hydrogen to do you know, buses and cars and heating and clean power, keeping the lights on. You know, Japan is talking about using ammonia, importing ammonia um, in order to generate power, that incredibly inefficient route that I talked to you about that's got 20% efficiency. Japan is talking about doing that. Germany is talking about all these different countries. None of that is for, is really going to happen. It's just not going to play out that way. And I think that what's, but at the moment, it's very difficult to persuade. There's a sort of frenzy of interest amongst investors, amongst politicians. And, you know, it's just so seductive. This idea that there's a magic molecule, you make the magic molecule from renewable energy, and it solves all of humanity's energy problems. And, and isn't it fabulous? And of course, a lot of people can get rich along the way and spread money around. And, you know, it's so seductive. It will frankly take years for the souffle to kind of go down, for the excitement to come out of the sector and for us to focus on, we, you know, we really need clean hydrogen. More precisely, we need 94 million tons of clean hydrogen this year. And maybe there'll be some extra uses. So there are some things very difficult to decarbonize any other way. So you might say, well, what are we going to do with steel production, primary steel production? Maybe that will start to use hydrogen. More expensive, but it can be done. Um, maybe for airline fuel, maybe for shipping fuel, it's possible that you might have methanol, you know, clean methanol made from hydrogen, clean hydrogen as a solution, maybe, but very expensive. And we might be using hydrogen for long duration storage, because when we have these economies very dependent on cheap renewables, there's a problem when the wind doesn't blow. You know, we're going to have in the UK, at the moment, we've got 12 gigawatts of offshore wind, we're going to have 50 gigawatts, and then we're going to have even more. Well, what happens when there's no wind in summer? Mm. Sorry, in winter, I apologize, in winter, because in winter, there's no sun. And if the wind drops for a week or 10 days, our economy grinds to a halt in that scenario. So maybe we'll use hydrogen or a derivative to provide the storage in that situation, but only because there's no other way of doing it. And I think what will happen, therefore, most of the most of the stuff being talked about at that conference is probably not going to happen. Maybe, you know, people talk about long distance transportation. I mean, you're not going to drive an electric truck in the middle of winter from I don't know Toronto to uh, the you know to the to the Pacific Northwest. I get it, right? But if you had to do that net zero. Right now, you could use biogas. You can have a CNG truck. You could use biodiesel, bio, you know, biofuels, biogas. And why would you go to this extreme complexity of going to hydrogen to do what is, in the grand scheme of the world, a very, very difficult edge case? You know, most transport in the world is not driving thousands of miles across the frozen, you know, wastes of Canada in the middle of winter. Most of it is shorter distances and, and more easily done, very easily done, frankly, uh, electrically. 
Mm. And so I think what's going to happen over the next few years, a lot of this excitement around hydrogen is simply going to run into the sands and hopefully be left with a core that really, really makes sense. A bunch of clean fertilizer, a bunch of clean hydrogen for use in um, the other big use is uh, petrochemicals plants, hydrocracking, um, uh, you know, maybe production of what methanol we need that has to go clean. Um, and, you know, how can I put it? A bit more sanity will reign. Do you think uh, that uh, a lot of the hubbub is being fueled by uh, uh, government financial support in Canada? We have a clean energy fund that was just uh, announced this year. So are you seeing that in other jurisdictions where governments are are kind of footing the bill for this uh, for this adventure and um, and that's uh, causing uh, investors to jump in because they can, you know, take the risk uh, with uh, with money that's not exactly theirs. So what we've got at the moment is governments around the world uh, are creating hydrogen strategies. That's a very attractive thing to do. As I say, it's very seductive. You have a hydrogen strategy, uh, your popularity goes up. Um, and now the hard work of figuring out how you might try and fund some of those hydrogen strategies is going on around the world uh, at different speeds. So in the EU, there's money going through the European Investment Bank. There's, they're now talking about a hydrogen bank because the basic problem is clean hydrogen costs more than fossil hydrogen. Right? If it didn't, we would do clean hydrogen already. Nobody we wouldn't have to have this conversation. So the mm. clean hydrogen is more expensive. It might come down in cost to the point where it's not, but you have to do a lot of it in between, right? Maybe by 2040, clean might be cheaper than dirty, right? I mean, that happened with wind energy. It happened with, uh, you know, with solar power. It happened with uh, electric vehicles. It's pretty much on the cusp. But that took a lot of time and investment. So right now, if you want clean hydrogen, somebody has to put their hands in the pockets. And so that... The EU is trying to create this hydrogen bank. In the US, they've put uh, the, the, into place the Inflation Reduction Act called the IRA, the IRA Inflation Reduction Act. And that pays out $3 per kilo of clean hydrogen. Now, for your listeners won't necessarily know what a kilo of hydrogen should cost anyway. The, the answer is dirty hydrogen costs about a dollar or a dollar and a half. And um, so if you make clean hydrogen, you can get two to three times the amount in terms of a tax rebate in the US. But it doesn't even stop there because you can also get more IRA money, more of this Inflation Reduction Act subsidy to install the renewable energy from which you're going to make the clean hydrogen. And so we start to see some really bizarre business models um, where people are kind of shopping around and getting multiple subsidies and they talk about layering the subsidies mm -hmm. now you and i um and i suspect quite a lot of your listeners don't get to run around the country around the world layering subsidies it's just not kind of that's not how we run our lives but there are people doing that um the reason i'm pretty sure it won't last is because the amounts are so colossal Take the 94 million tons of dirty hydrogen around the world, right? And let's assume that that costs, let's give it the benefit of the doubt. Let's say it's at the expensive end. Let's say it's a buck and a half per kilo. That's 94 million tons costing a buck and a half a kilo. And now you want to solve that problem 
and you're going to take, you know, maybe $3 clean hydrogen. So the, the hydrogen that's going to be made, for instance, in, uh, uh, in, in Newfoundland from those projects we've been talking about, that might cost three bucks per kilo. So that's a buck and a half of support money somebody has to find, right, to, to close the gap between mm -hmm. the unsubsidized costs where you end up with dirty hydrogen. And if you want somebody to use clean, you better pay them the difference. That, if you just multiply 94 million tons, that's 94 million thousand kilos at a dollar and a half of subsidy, right? And you get a hundred and that's going to be 135 odd billion dollars of subsidy every year just to do clean hydrogen in the existing uses, right? It's these are huge numbers. I mean, to put it in perspective, the entire global aid budget is only two hundred billion dollars. So if you're going to solve that um, dirty hydrogen problem that I was talking about, then somebody has to come up with one hundred and thirty five billion dollars every year to close that gap. And, you know, the numbers that the, the that the politicians want to put on the table, you know, the European Hydrogen Bank. They're saying it's 800 million euros, right? Which is about a about a, a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. It's nothing like the size required, right? It's tiny. So these are large amounts, right? If you're a, if you want to build some project in Stephenville and then somebody, the government can come along and give you 40% um tax break and whatever, these are billions and billions of dollars, but they're still completely minuscule compared to the size of the problem of eliminating the emissions from hydrogen. We were chatting with Michael Liebreich, host of the Cleaning Up podcast and author of The Unbearable Lightness of Hydrogen, a paper available online and well worth the read. And that's it for the program. Look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and introducing our new website, MiigmaMatters.com. Big Mom Matters is brought to you with listener support. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Matters. The Big Mom Matters team is producer Allison Baker, correspondent Greg Janes, and researcher Hilary McGinnis. I'm Glenn Wheeler. I'm Sonogama.